Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In a recent issue of the Christian Post, they featured an article uh, that had a survey done by Pew Forum. They surveyed, surveyed 35,000 adults about their Christian, or I shouldn't call it Christian, religious views. I want to start by sharing with you what I would call the relatively good news. This is what they found. By many measures, Americans are strongly religious. 92% of Americans believe in God. 74% believe in life after death. And 63% say that their respective scriptures, whatever they may be, are God's word. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. 57% of evangelical church attendees, that would include people like you, said that they believe that any one of a number of religions can all lead to eternal life. Slightly more than half of the people surveyed said that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. Now, I don't find this too hard to believe when one of our political candidates said with a smile on his face, we are no longer a Christian country. We're Christian and Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist, and everybody applauded. It gives credence to the fact that all roads lead to heaven. Now, I got news for you. This obviously separates the sheep from the goats. I mean, you simply cannot believe that all roads lead to heaven and still be faithful to one of the foundational tenets of Christianity. In fact, Jesus made it abundantly clear that while there may be many roads, most people aren't going to find the right one. Matthew 7, verse, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many may enter through it. But small is that gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Some of you may have heard this story before. It's uh, about a bunch of uh, blind men in India that were taken to see their very first elephant. The first man went up and said, Oh, an elephant is very much like a wall. He was feeling the side of the elephant. The second blind man said, No. It's much like a spear as he strokes that elephant's tusk. Third man said with that squirming trunk, he says, Oh, no, you got it wrong. The elephant is a, is a snake. Nonsense, said the fourth blind man, putting his arms around an elephant's leg. He said, No, the elephant's really a tree. The fifth man grabbing the elephant's ear said, No, you all got it wrong. The elephant is very much like a fan. And the sixth blind man grabbing the elephant by the tail said, it's plain to see, in fact, any blind person could see that the elephant is very much like a rope. Now, there are those who hear different people from different religions say that they have somehow found God, or that they have God, or that we believe in God as well. But if you dig a little deeper and peel the onion back, what you will find is that the gods they are described are about as different as the blind men who saw an elephant. This kind of leads us to conclude that just like the blind men of the parable, that today that everybody's opinion is right. They just have a different hold of different parts of God. And in the days of our relativism, in our days of political correction, cor correctedness, 
everybody in the world today is right. Therefore, it doesn't make any difference, really, if you are a Muslim, whether you're a Mormon, whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you're a Baptist, even if you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran, if you're a Hindu, whatever, as long as you're sincere, says that great theologian Lucy Van Pelt in the Peanuts comic strip, it doesn't really make any difference what you believe, just as long as you are sincere about it. This is nothing new. In fact, centuries ago, in a city called Athens, this was the predominant belief. Athens was a very religious city. In fact, they said that there were over 30,000 idols in the city of Athens. They said you could find an idol easier than you could find a man in the city of Athens. And yet these people were still confused as to which God to believe in, which God would ultimately get them to heaven. And just in case they missed one, they erected one last little altar to what they called the unknown God. They were going to cover all their bases. Now, before you kind of pass off these uh, Athenians as a bunch of backwoods yokels, you need to understand that Athens was the center of culture in their day. It was here that the idea of democracy actually took form. Many of the world's greatest philosophers came from Athens, people like Sophocles and Euripides and Plato and Socrates and that really famous guy called Anonymous. You have to think about that a while. But you see, here in Athens, they had one of the greatest universities in the entire world. It was the center of philosophy, of literature, of culture, and art, and science. This is a city that was dedicated to the pursuit of truth and wisdom, yet in the middle of their pursuit of truth and wisdom, there was confusion. Because when it came to God, they didn't know what brand of truth or wisdom to embrace. They didn't know which God to hang on to, and so they believed that somehow all of them were pretty much equal. Now, I got to tell you that those intellectual types still exist today. I had a discussion with somebody not long ago who belongs to a non-Christian religion, and he told me point blank, well, we can sit here all day and argue, but you know, we both believe in the same God. Really? Yeah, we both believe in the same God. How do you get to your God? Uh, well, I get to mine through Jesus, so I'm not sure that we even have the same God. There's still intellectuals like that in our world today. They seem to be either unwilling or unable to discover the truth about God, so religion becomes kind of relegated to a matter of personal taste rather than objective reality. You know, it's kind of like our taste in clothes or the color of our houses. It, you know, religion today is a matter of personal taste. If you like Hinduism better than you like Buddhism or Buddhism better than you like Christianity, it's no big deal. It's kind of like having a preference between a Big Mac and a Whopper. And a lot of people say, and if there really is a God, well, God would understand I mean, everybody's just trying to reach God. Some people are trying different ways to do that. It shouldn't really make any difference. Just as long, as Lucy said, you're sincere about it. But let me tell you something, friends. There's something, there's one thing, actually, that has gotten Christianity into trouble with people down through the ages. You want to start an argument at a family reunion? You want to get the guy in the seat next to you on an airplane all cranked off? You want to get a student in your classroom to kind of spin around, all you have to do is tell them 
Uh, well, yeah, it does make a difference what you believe. That'll get people going. It does make a difference what you believe. Not all roads lead to heaven. I mean, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Read your scriptures, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, did you catch that part, comes to the Father except through me. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. I am the only way. You go a little bit further in the book of Acts, you got Peter standing up, and Peter says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And then there is our reading this morning. You see it on your message outline from Acts chapter 17. And I want to read to you, uh, out of the New Living Translation, I'm going to read to you verses 22 to 31. I think some of those are found on your worship outline. But it goes this way. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own, peop- your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Isn't that an interesting section of scripture? I hope you caught what Paul was saying to the people. It's the same thing Paul would say to us today if he were here. And it's this. He said, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all the people are telling us that God has no intention of being tolerant when it comes to a whole bunch of different roads and just being sincere to get to heaven. He says, in the past, God may have overlooked that ignorance, but not anymore. What he's calling for today is judgment, or not judgment, he's calling today for repentance not open-mindedness. And there's a big difference between calling for repentance instead of open-mindedness. I'm going to say this very clear. People will not get into heaven by being Hindus. They will not get into heaven by being Muslim or Mormon. They won't get into heaven by flashing somebody their little Buddha statue. As the Imperials once sang, it won't be old Buddha that's sitting on the throne, and it won't be old, old, old Muhammad that's calling us home. And it won't be Hare Krishna that plays that trumpet tune, because we're going to the sun and not Reverend Moon. See, the crux of Paul's argument here in Acts chapter 17 is that God is calling us to repent because there will be a day of judgment. Now, intellectual people, intellectual folks, they're all around us, are very fond 
of telling well-meaning Christians who are bold enough to say there's only one way to heaven, that's Jesus, they're fond of telling you that nobody has the right to tell somebody else that what they believe is wrong. Somebody told me one time, Barry, you're just not nice. <laughs> Build a bridge and get over it, huh? You're just not nice. I said, you know, it's not, not, it's not nice not to tell people that they're wrong. I mean, judgment is coming. And if people don't recognize that what they believe is wrong, the consequences can be absolutely deadly. You cannot be open-minded and tolerant when it comes to God. I mean, even smart people ought to be able to figure that one out. In just about every serious field of knowledge, broad-mindedness is not acceptable. I mean, think about this. There is no room for broad-mindedness in chemistry. Water is two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. The slightest deviation is not allowed. There's no room for broad-mindedness in music. I mean, no clear-thinking director would ever per per uh, permit their first violin to play one half note off of the key that's written on the score. There's no room for broad-mindedness when it comes to mathematics. The solution to the problem is either right or it's wrong. There's no room for broad-mindedness if you're dealing with a mechanic. They tell you that the, the cylinder has to, or that the piston needs to sit inside the cylinder walls to one, one one-thousandth of an inch. They cannot allow for any variation if that motor is to run smoothly. In fact, we can go down through all kinds of other fields of knowledge. They refuse to have tolerance of truth. And, and here Paul is saying that it's the same with God. There's going to come a time of judgment. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to tell you right now, I asked this question one time of my grandmother. It's the only time I can ever remember that she actually hit me. She slapped me when I asked her this question. I said, Grandma, how do we know that what we believe is right? How do we know that we got it right? Bam! Now, it kind of well, it struck me, no kidding. It stunned me, too. And I've often wondered why my grandma did that. Whether she thought I was just a smart-aleck little punk or whether she didn't know the answer. I kind of think it was because she didn't know the answer. And I'm not saying my grandma was not a believer. But I don't know that she'd ever thought about that question. How many of you want to answer it this morning? How do we know that we are right? Well, you know, Paul tells us the answer right in Scripture. Isn't that the wonderful thing? I'm always tempted. I say, what do you guys think is the answer? Well, who cares what you think? Let's see what God's word has to say about it. Because in, in verse 31, it tells us very clearly. Paul tells us, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We are the only religion in the world, friends, that worship a living God. You want proof that we're right? Find another religion that's got a, a living God. They all got dead gods. Well, some people say, well, what about the church of Satan? Satan's alive. Well, okay, we're the only one that's got a winning God. Okay, why worship a big loser? 
I've always liked the saying I saw recently on a church sign. I'm, I'm thinking of putting it out here on our church sign. It goes like this. If I'm okay and you're okay, explain the cross. If I'm okay and you're okay, friends, you explain the cross. People, would, people who would challenge our faith today, you know, they always try to get us off on side issues too. That's the other wonderful thing. Oh, do you really believe that God created the world in seven days? Do you really believe there was a universal flood went all over the entire world, even on top of Mount Everest? I mean, do you, do you believe that Moses actually parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land? Now, I got to tell you that if a skeptic can get you sidetracked into arguing things like that, uh, you've missed the point. The only point of proof that God seems to be concerned with is spelled J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. I think that's what, that, that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I have decided that while I was with you, he said, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. You know, some of you are flat out scared to witness because you're afraid you're going to get asked a question and you won't be able to answer it. You, but I'm going to tell you this point. You don't have to defend the Bible. The Bible does not need your defense. You don't need to be able to... To, to defend every doctrine found in this book. It's important for you to know the answers to the questions, though. I'm not getting, letting you off the hook. You do need to know the answers, ultimately. But what you really need to learn to do is simply proclaim Jesus. I told you that about a month ago. What is this church all to be about? One of the things is we've got to be about Jesus because when Jesus is preached, what happens? Hearts are divided. Hearts are pierced. We need to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is foolishness to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. The Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Now, I want to back up to Acts chapter 17. I hope you noticed something before. If you read Acts 17, Paul debated these philosophers, but he did not win the debate. There was no mad rush down the aisle of people professing Jesus for the very first time. The crowd's reaction, in fact, was very mixed. Verse 32 says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. They thought he was nuts. They laughed at him. So others said, well, we'd like to hear more about it later. A little bit later. Catch us if you can. You know, there are a lot of Bible scholars who would tell you that Paul's preaching at Athens was a failure because it was so poorly received. But I don't think Paul would say that. Because if you read a little bit further in verse... 34, it talks about Paul being, being faithful. It said, but some joined him. Some became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Friends, let me make it very plain and clear this morning that there is only one single road to heaven. It goes through Jesus. Now, this exclusive truth ought not to be some matter of pride, or something to be arrogant about because not a one of us here today has done anything to deserve the salvation that God has made available to us through Jesus. 
But I believe it's a truth that we as Christians need to be very clear on. It's foundational to the faith that you and I believe in. And if you want your non-Christian friends to escape eternal judgment, it's something you ought to desire to want to make known to them. Ask yourself this question. What would be worse? Risking offending someone in order to help them or seeing them miss heaven and ending up in eternal judgment? Now, what are you going to tell them? You remember a couple of weeks when I handed this out to you? In fact, I'll give a bunch of these to the Gideons after a while. We'll help them. We'll help them teach people about Jesus, too. Have you shared this with anybody yet, the divine plan? I hope you have. I know a few of you have because you come back and asked for more. See, heaven really is a matter of life and death. It's not something to kind of dink around with or play around with and have some sort of a, a warm, fuzzy feeling and just kind of figure that, well, other people will get there. They're just kind of going down the wrong path right now. Maybe we ought to help them get on the path. Do all roads lead to heaven? No. Let me give you a very four-step simple plan to get there. It's something I think everybody needs to realize. Here's one thing. First of all, you just need to realize that you're a sinner. And a lot of people don't like that pointed out to them. The man who told me one time he was only guilty of momentary indiscretions <laughs> did not want to face the word sin. But the Bible does not say in Romans 3.23, all have had momentary indiscretions. I don't care what translation you use. It says, all have sinned. We need to understand that. Every last one of us. We need to realize that. But second of all, we also need to realize that sin has a penalty to it. In Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. Now, if I know anything, I know that wages are something you earn. They don't give me a salary because I deserve it. You earn it. If you're a sinner, what you're earning is death. That's the bad news. That's the sad news. That's the wrong path. But the wonderful thing about Romans 6.23 is a little word, but. Don't you love that wonderful scriptural word, but? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's putting somebody on the right path. Friends, are you a sinner? Yeah. You know, how do you make entry into people's life? I mean, you can think of, I mean, sin, sickness, sorrow, and stress are four open doors into people's lives. Sick, sin, sickness, sorrow, and stress. There's an entry into somebody's life where you can tell them, friend, yeah, here's the problem. But here's the solution. The gift of God is eternal life. And then just after you realize those things, to accept God's free and wonderful gift. Romans 10.9 answers that question one more time about all roads leading to heaven. It said, if you confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You are saved. End of paragraph, exclamation point, end of story. And that, friends, in Jesus, is the only way to heaven. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of heaven. We have no idea really what it's going to be like other than that we know that we are going to be with you forever. We know that there will be an end to all sin and sadness and sorrow, the stresses of life. Lord, we also need to confess to you this morning that we have tried a, a number of different roads in order to get to heaven. But there's only road, one road that leads there, and that's the road that goes through Jesus. Many of us have struggled in our path of life, trying to carve out a road through the wilderness on our own, or wander down roads wherever pe other people have pointed us or encouraged us to follow. But thanks be to you that through the gift of the Spirit, through the power of your word, you grabbed our attention and you drew us towards the cross. Lord, we pray that as we journey through this life that we always keep our eyes on the prize, that we keep focused on the cross, keep focused on Jesus. For we know and believe that it is only through him that we have heaven, that we have eternal life. And we thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.